Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about a few things. First being draft. Draft.com, draft in your app store, is a great way to play fantasy sports. Snake-style drafts, just the way you like it. Now they've introduced auction drafts, and they have dominated the best ball draft world. Just wrapping up some massive NFL contests. They have an NFL playoff best ball. They have NBA best ball starting up very shortly. They'll have MLB best ball. So much great stuff. But if you like the daily stuff, they have the snake styles, the auctions. And unlike the other daily fantasy sites, no one else owns the player yet. So you don't have to worry about ownership. None of that. Small fields, small prices, big prices, whatever you want. Use promo code SD Sports when you check out and you get entry into a free $3 tournament of your choice. So if you're new to draft, draft.com, use promo code SD Sports for a free $3 entry of your choice. Also, if you can give us a rating and review on iTunes, we'd much, much appreciate it. I'd much, much appreciate it. Put a lot of time and effort into this, and I want to make it bigger and better. And with the rating and review, it'll help go a long, long ways. With that being said, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 134, with Derek Boyd of Baseball HQ, talking all kinds of MLB hot stove and fantasy baseball. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 133. It took a little break for the holiday season. We've been gone for about two weeks. We have a lot of MLB hot stove action to talk about and their fantasy implications. In order to do so, joined by another member of Baseball HQ. You can find them on Twitter at DerekBHQ. Derek Boyd, how are we doing, man? Doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, I always like getting... Uh, I love the baseball HQ guys in general. You guys are all very, very knowledgeable in what you talk about. And uh, I always like getting new voices on to talk some sports. And uh, that's the most important thing, just having fun talking sports. So thanks for joining me. And like I said, we got a lot to talk about here. So um, we'll hit some deep. We'll hit some shallow. But we'll hit them all. We'll kick it off with the Marlins, Indians, and Rays three-way trade happened, I think, pretty close after my last episode. And the gist of it is Carlos Santana goes to um, – to Cleveland, returns to Cleveland. Yandy Diaz goes to Tampa Bay. Edwin goes to Seattle. Uh, you have Jake Bowers going to Cleveland. Actually, uh, Carlos Santana went to Tampa Bay. My bad. But uh, why not to Cleveland? I'm totally all over it. But uh, overall, let's start one by one. Carlos Santana's impacts. How do you uh, you see that coming up this season? You know, Santana is still pretty much the same guy he's been um, throughout most of his career. I think, you know, when you uh, – you take a close look at, at Santana, uh, what stands out to me is that he has excellent plate discipline, right? So he, you know, he, he's patient, he makes good contact and, uh, you know, puts the ball in play and he, and he does, you know, he's got the, the launch angle. He hits the ball in the air and uh, allows him to hit for some pretty consistent, um, decent power. You know, he's never, he's had one season, I think, where he hit, you know, 30 home runs, like 2016, he had 34 home runs. But for the most part, he's more of a, you know, 20-plus home run guy. And 
I fully expect that to be the case again here in, in 2019, you know, mid 20s home runs. Um, you know, last year he had a poor batting average and a lot of that's, you know, BABIP related. He doesn't hit a whole lot of line drives. And, uh, you know, we know that the line drives are the you know, very high BABIP on, on those line drives. And, and he just doesn't hit a whole lot of them most of the time. So he does suffer from the, you know, the BABIP's not going to regress. It's not going to be a, you know, 300 BABIP, but, uh, but I think I think you know he should bounce back a little bit from that uh, two thirty batting average he had last year. So you know maybe we're looking at somewhere around a you know two fifty two sixty hitter with you know twenty five home run power and you know eighty to ninety RBIs eighty ninety runs something like that. So yeah, he should like be pretty you, consistent again. Yeah, like you said the biggest thing with Carlos Santana it's it's a model of consistency and he's returning to a home that he loves. Uh, he only spent one season in Philadelphia. The rest of his career has been in Cleveland. I know a lot of stories came out. He never even sold his house. He wanted to return to Cleveland. So it, it, it's kind of a feel-good story in one, any way you look at it. But when you break it down, he's going like 230 overall, 229 overall in FBCs, which is, to me, for consistency, like that's not too bad. You know, three picks earlier, you got a guy like Miguel Sano, who's who knows what you're going to get. Two picks later, you got a guy, or three picks later, you got a guy like Kyle Seeger. Um, Justin Smokes going shortly after. To me, I don't know about you, Carlos Santana seems kind of, maybe a value at that point or do you think that's about right? Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, a, <clears throat> it's probably about the right spot to grab him. If you're, if you're interested in that kind of production, you know, he doesn't really uh, appeal to me with the way that I build, like to build my teams, but, um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with taking him there. He's, he'll certainly get you, you know, what you need. You can plug him in, especially in on base percentage leagues. You know, if you're using on base percentage instead of batting average, I think um, his value is a lot higher. Yeah, definitely OBP leagues. You can you can enjoy a lot more Carlos in Tampa. That's for sure. Um, let's talk about one of the guys that left Cleveland, going to Tampa Bay. On the Twitter Twitterverse, he's a popular name because he just hits the ball so hard. But he likes to hit it on the ground a lot. And his name is Yandy Diaz. He's a big man, very very big man. Not big like me, big like strong. Um, <laughs> Yandy Diaz is a talented man, and he might get full time playing time fi- finally. But it's kind of like. We really don't know. Some people are super hyped. Some, like myself, kind of want to wait and see. He's going 437th overall, so you're not paying much for him. But what do you see in a guy like Yandy Diaz? Because the hype train is already going in full full steam ahead. Yeah, and he's a guy that's been interesting to me for, for years. And and like you said, he's a physical specimen. I mean, you go and look at the pictures of him working out, and he's just absolutely shredded. Um, and he does hit the ball really hard, so that you know plays into it as well. So we say we see this strong guy who hits the ball hard, and and one of the things that he has that maybe some other power hitters or guys of his uh, who hit the ball as hard as he does don't is that he has excellent plate discipline. Yandi, you know, takes walks and and makes good contact, puts the ball in play. That, but like you mentioned, the the missing piece right now is launch angle. He hits a lot of ground balls. He doesn't put the ball in the air enough. And that that's really the missing piece. Um, if he can, you know, but a lot of guys have have altered their swings recently um, and added launch angles. So I think Yandi's worth speculating on, but I think probably the hype is is a little bit ahead of of uh, where I'd be willing to speculate on. I've just speculated on him in, in the last couple of years. I've drafted him just for that reason, hoping that he'll add some launch angle, but it hasn't happened. You know, he'll play a little bit of third base, a little bit of first base, a little bit of DH there, I expect. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I would love nothing more than for him to have a breakout, but uh, I wouldn't bank on it. 
Yeah, that you're, we're kind of in the same boat there. Like the the talent, you wouldn't be shocked if you finally you know built in the launch angle. Like you said, it's a thing now. People are learning how to do it. Um, and then all of a sudden, he, with that that strength and everything, he goes and busts out 25, 30 plus homers or something. But uh, a playing in the trap doesn't help with that very much. And b um, I got to see it first. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Now, you know, if, if my lineup's pretty stable and it comes around to pick four thirty seven, that's a late pick. You can think about it, but that's kind of where I'd probably take a chance on another pitcher or something. But um, yeah, it kind of will dictate in the draft, but I, I want to see it. I, I hope it'll be there because I can already just picture everyone's minds getting blown by this man, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Let's talk about a, a veteran that goes from Cleveland to Seattle, and there's rumors he might be on the move again, but that's just because DePoto loves to do these things. But Edwin Encarnacion, basically, he's future salary relief is the best way I could look at it here for the uh, the Mariners. He's going to give him a spot in the lineup this year, and then they're going to be able to get rid of his, his money here very shortly. Um, Edwin Encarnacion, who another kind of model of stability for the most part, but uh, he's chugging along. But what do you like with Edwin? Because going to um, Seattle from Cleveland is going to not favor in his offensive production. It's true, but so you're buying Edwin for the power. He's he's a he's a home run hitter. He's a slugger, and uh, you know he's uh, he's getting older. He's 36 years old, and his plate discipline is certainly starting to deteriorate. Uh, he doesn't make as much contact as he once did. He swings at pitches outside of the zone a lot more frequently than he did during his prime. But he is still among the league leaders in hard hit fly ball percentage. And that's one of the key indicators I like to look at for, for power numbers. You know, if you hit the ball in the air and you hit it hard in the air, you're more likely to hit home runs. And, uh, and Edwin's still one of the league leaders in that. So I think his power is elite. I think it's going to play in any ballpark he goes to, but you're probably looking at a uh, batting average liability as he, uh, as the plate discipline continues to erode. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I'm, I'm seeing. A little more possible striking out and whatnot. But, you know, 32, 32 or more home runs every year since 2012 is hard to pass up, like you say. And he, he still hits the ball very, very hard. He kind of reminds me of a, a Pedro Serrano type from Major League. Just hit ball hard. Um, and that's <laughs> what he does very, very well. So uh, he's, he's going the, – the, the weird part, though, it's hard because he's going overall at pick 118. Um, so it's like you're not really getting a ton of savings on him. Um, if you had to compare him to, like, say, Carlos Santana, how do you, how do you differentiate the two when you're hitting draft season? That's an interesting comparison. Um, so, uh, for me, I would probably favor Edwin just because I know that I've got uh, an elite power source. I'd probably go with him over Santana. But um, if it maybe if it was an, an on base percentage league, I, I really like Santana's plate discipline. You know, you just have to love a guy that can almost walk as often as he strikes out and um, Edwin's not there anymore. So, uh, you know, I could see going either way depending on the, on the cost, but as far as just knowing you have a bankable asset and and an elite power hitter, I'd probably favor Edwin. Um, The last kind of major piece of this deal is always little prospects here and there, but Jake Bowers, who was a big time prospect with the Rays and some thought, okay, this is going to be his team. He's going to get going with this, young outfield core. Well, he gets shipped to Cleveland, who needed an outfielder, so it worked out for them. But what's your thoughts on Bowers going there? It could be a nice little chance for him to get everyday playing time. Well, that's what I think, too. You know, he's he should play DH, maybe first base and outfield a little bit in Cleveland, and and pretty much, I think, between those three, should find everyday work. Um, he's got enough pop 
and uh, stolen base prowess to be relevant in both, you know, the home run and stolen base categories. I think he could go, you know, 260, 2010 with everyday playing time. That's, uh, he's definitely got some value there. He's a you know, highly touted prospect and, and, you know, maybe he could even do better than that. But, uh, but uh, he's definitely somebody that's interesting for 2019. Yeah. And he's not going too high. He's going to pick 261. He's got first base outfit eligibility, at least in FBCs. And these are, again, we got to remember, I, 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 well, it's gone quite a bit. Cause last time I did the pod, uh, there was only like 14 drafts of data here. There's 34 now. So we're slowly building it up, but still, you know, when we look back at these numbers in February, this could get really interesting. But um, right now at 261, you do get some values going around guys like Shinsu Chu, who's maybe more reliable. But at the same time, Bowers might have that upside, depends on how you look at things. He's going a few picks behind a guy like Scott Shebler. I'm just comparing the outfield position, guys. So it's an interesting look here um, with Jake Bowers because the, the sky is – or the ceiling is pretty big for this talent level. Like you said, it's hard to find the power-speed combo in a, in a guy like this. Um, you know, you could, you might be shooting too high, but say 15, 15 is possible with a guy like this, uh, maybe with a little more upside. I don't know exactly if you, if you agree with that or not, but it, it's a nice little balancing act. If you can hit 260, like you said, there's a lot to like there. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah, 15, 15, 20, 10. Yeah, however you divide, divide it up, it's hard to say with these young guys, but uh, he could, especially with you know, youthful legs, sometimes the, you know, he's not a burner by any means, but you look at his uh, his sprint speed, and it's you know just a touch above average, and and he has run in the past, so it's uh, it is a guy that could end up. He is a guy that could end up with you know ten, fifteen stolen bases, fifteen, twenty home runs, and a two sixty batting average, and be a, a pretty nice play for you, especially if he ends up getting um, playing time in multiple positions. Exactly, and we know Tito likes to he let his guys run. If he lets Jose Ramirez and that beautiful big body <laughs> run like crazy, he'll let uh, Jake Bowers <laughs> run. So that's a good thing. All right, one of the kind of smaller signings, but deeper leagues, you know, middle infield type stuff. Jordy Mercer goes to the Tigers. We don't have to go too deep into this, but do you have anything on Jordy Mercer? Because nothing flashy, but he still somehow gets it done from time to time. Yeah, I mean, he's still an everyday shortstop. He's expected to play every day with the Tigers. So uh, in deeper leagues, you can certainly deploy him there in your middle infield spot, and at least you'll know you'll be racking up counting stats. You know, he's probably not good for much more than 10 home runs and a – you know, two fifty ish batting average, but uh, it's it's there's something there in deeper leagues. Obviously, nothing to get excited about, or nothing to speculate on on a breakout. I don't just don't see any of that kind of sort of thing coming. Yeah, thirty two years old. He's uh, probably just holding a spot for their younger guys to come up. But everyday playing time is hard to come by. And I remember there was a few times last year in a pension like TGFBI or something. I'd be grabbing Jose Iglesias from the Tigers off the waiver wire, going, "Okay, fill me in for a week or two because I have injuries." Jordy Mercer is that guy. So that's exactly. why I just wanted to, I wanted to bring him up. He's not going to usually kill your team. He might not light you on fire, but he's a good kind of just placeholder for you. All right. This one is really intriguing to me because, you know, a few years ago, Yonder Alonso, he's another – you mentioned Yandy Diaz launch angle. Yonder Alonso bought into it, and it worked out tremendously. He finished up in Oakland, goes to Cleveland on a good contract for him, keeps hitting some homers. Well, with all the moves they're making, there's really no room for him anymore. And they ship him off to the White Sox, which I think is an outstanding landing spot. Kind of makes you wonder the Jose Abreu thing, what's going on there. But um, all in all, if he gets some regular playing time, Yonder Alonso, I think, could really enjoy that ballpark. What's your thoughts on Yonder going to the White Sox? 
Well, like you said, they, they do have Jose Abreu already you know, entrenched at first base. Um, I hadn't thought about the possibility you just mentioned of what's going on there. You know, are they thinking of moving him? But, um, but if he's still there, if Abreu's still there playing first base every day, you know, Alonzo will play a little bit. You know, spell him at times, hit, hit a little bit of DH. But what what really holds Alonzo back to me is that he's just dreadful against left-handed pitching, and. Uh, and that's probably where you know he'll end up sitting most of the time that a, a southpaw is on the mound. I mean, he still has good pop, but it's not special pop. It's it's you know again it's twenty plus home run pop, which in this in this era is just you know it's not exciting. Um, and he to get to that power, as we noticed, he you know he changed his launch angle, and he also had to open up his swing. He ended up striking out a lot more uh, in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen than he had previously to get to that you know mid twenties home run power which leaves him with, you know, a little, it makes him, he doesn't have much bat, batting average prowess anymore. He's certainly not a batting average asset. So um, he still has that pop. If he were to play every day, he, he would probably be, he could maybe even approach 30 home runs, but I don't think he'll end up playing every day. I think he'll, he'll sit against lefties and he's behind a Brayu. So unless something happens there, I'm not too enthused with Yonder. Although, like you said, the, the ballpark could help. Yeah. The ballpark stands out to me and, I, I would hope they would not move a Bray. I know it's like every year there's a rumor that pops up every like twice a year about they want to rebuild. They could send them off. But then to me, I've always been a fan of keeping a Bray because they have so many Latin young players. And this guy is the epitome of I came over from Cuba. I figured it out. Like, here you go. Follow my steps. He hasn't made a mistake, at least none of that we know of outside of in the public eye. So I think this is the kind of thing where you keep a guy like a Bray. still kind of cheap. He's still, you know, he is older than people think. He's like, he's getting early to mid-30s by now. Uh, he's not the youngest, unless I'm totally wrong. Could be wrong on Abreu, but that's what I thought I was reading. But uh, I think he's a nice guy as leadership there. It's just kind of, yeah, if Yonder can't hit lefties, that's that's going to be a tough one. That's for sure. But uh, the ballpark, man, that's, just, that's a juicy-looking spot there. I agree. Um, just another small one here. Um, Justin Bohr goes to the Angels. We know that um, – Albert Pujols is still there. He's going to be playing first base, but he'll be DHing for a while with um, with our good old boy. Um, oh my God, how am I forgetting? Um, this is good. Uh, the rookie of the year last year. Why am I even just blanking on this? Help me out here, Derek. Let's see. He pitches and he hits. He's Japanese. Oh, Otani. Otani. I was going to kind of want to say Tanaka. Well, wow, talk about the holidays brain farting you folks. There you go. Shohei Otani is going to be on the DL for a while. So they do have the DH possibility with pools back there. Eventually that'll get murky if they try to hit him a lot. We still don't know how that's going to play out. But Bohr is another left-handed bat out there. Um, any interest in the guy like Justin Bohr? Is his value kind of all but gone now he left Miami? Well, I think he's a lot. He reminds me a lot of uh, Yonder Alonso, kind of a similar thing where he's got, you know, solid 20 plus home run power. He's not a batting average asset. He's, you know, in a first base DH timeshare with a few other guys. And he's, like you mentioned, he's a left-handed batter and he, and he's not good against lefties either. He'll probably sit a lot against left-handed pitchers. So I think he's pretty similar to Alonso in that, that way. If he got a lot more playing time, we saw what he could do in 2017. You know, that was, that was his ceiling for sure. But um, uh, I don't expect him to to get back to that level, especially in the batting average department. I think guys like Bohr and Alonzo could be fun for uh, daily leagues. I'd, I'd keep an eye on them, but weekly leagues can be pretty tricky, probably. Uh, let's 
Let's go to the Bronx. This is a move I'm and I'm not a Yankees fan by any means. I'd rather they lose more than win. But um, this is a move I thought needed to be done immediately, and they finally did it. They brought J.A. Happ back to the Bronx. He's one of those lefties that thrives in these kind of places. And we already talked about Carlos Santana being a model of consistency. I'm pretty sure J.A. Happ might be the pitching version of this. He keeps getting older, and he keeps putting out almost the same line over and over and over again. So um, he's really comfortable, and it's weird. People just don't seem to want to go to him. It's one of his highest ADPs he has. He's going 142 right now overall, which is high for him. But in years past, no really respect for Hap. How do you like this landing spot fantasy-wise for J.A. Hap? You know, like you said, I'm, I'm like you. I'm not a Yankees fan at all. I, I grew up in uh, in the D.C., Baltimore metro area. I grew up an Orioles fan. And, um, I'm a big Nationals fan now, um, Orioles fan as well, and have uh, have been hating the Yankees for most of my life. But uh, <laughs> Jay Happ, you're right. He's so consistent, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter where he pitches. He just comes out there with the same stuff. You know, his, his velocity has um, has been very consistent. It's even on the rise just a touch. You know, for a lefty, he throws a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, which isn't bad. And uh, he doesn't have – I think people don't really – he doesn't get a whole lot of fanfare because he doesn't have a, a real exciting um, swing-and-miss secondary pitch that you'll see a lot of gifts of or, you know, that you'll – That'll be really exciting when we vote for the you know the best strikeout pitches. He he doesn't have one of those. You know he throws a four seam, he throws a slider, he throws a changeup, and he strategically uses each of his pitches to get whiffs when he needs them. And you saw his strikeout rate spiked. It was it was high. It was a you know well above a strikeout per inning last year. And uh, I think he can do it again. I think that it's largely repeatable. You know a mid threes ERA, a, a solid you know one point two whip, and uh, a strikeout per inning. Haps. Even in, in Yankee Stadium, he's you know he's just a really solid, uh, good, really a good starting pitcher to have on your roster. That's completely undervalued, I think. Yeah, he's he's a guy that will find his way on many teams of mine. So at least that's how it's been in the past. I'll I'll keep shooting for him. The year it falls apart is the year it falls apart, and I'll just accept it as it is. Because in um, the pitching landscape we see these days, there's so much volatility. It's just ridiculous. If you can, you know, lock me in a guy, a guy like him and maybe a couple other big guys, then you can really take those chances later on, in my opinion. So, um, I, I love Jay Happ. Uh, it, it hurts, like I said, rooting for the Yankees, but when it comes to fantasy, you do what's best for your team. And I think this is a, a great, great spot to to land for him. Absolutely. All right, uh, this is a move I, I I never understood. Why the hell would you trade Noah Syndergaard for um, JT Real Muto when you could go sign? Yasmani Grandal, or Wilson Ramos. This made the most sense in all the planet. But um, I love Wilson Ramos. I was huge on him last year. He made me very, very happy. He's Everybody else is back on the bandwagon now this year after what they saw. You know, City Field is not uh, the best hitter's park, but it's not worse. It's probably around mid-pack, just slightly less than mid-pack on the uh, park, park factors and all that. But a really good deal for the Mets. But fantasy-wise, it's got an everyday role, catching some really good pitchers. But offensively, he's going to be hitting in the middle of that lineup around some young studs. What's your thoughts on Wilson Ramos? So, yeah, I got a chance to watch Wilson. You know, he was a everyday player here in, in uh, Washington, D.C. for a number of years. He was our, our catcher, and, and we liked him a lot. He was an exciting player. He could. What, what I like about Wilson is that he there's a chance every year that he can produce above-average power and a and be a batting average asset, which from a catcher is, just seems so rare. And uh, he's – he is 
injury prone. Um, and that's the, the big knock on him and, and trying to know when he's not hitting well because he's playing through an injury versus when, you know, there's just, you know, some sort of skill deterioration. Sometimes it's hard to determine. He's just right on the fringe of like being a, a power asset and, you know, like having above average power and his hard hit rates and all of those things. It's nothing is too clear when it comes to Wilson. Um, to be able to, you know, to look at his peripherals and go and, and make a judgment call on that. But but there is always that chance that he's going to hit 300, which he's done multiple times, and that he's going to hit, you know, for a good amount of, of, of home runs. And so I like that about him. Now, coming off of a, a 300 season in 2018 that was largely the result of a career-high BABIP, I think that looking at his uh, 2019 forecast, you have to bake in some some batting average regression there. He's probably not likely to to hit 300 again, especially as you see his his contact rates continue to have declined a little bit. You know, he's not making contact at a you know mid 80s rate. It's more like an upper 70s, which is or right around 80, which is still pretty good. But but you'd have to think that you know I'd probably say more of a 270, 260 hitter. You know, coming into the season with you know, 15 home runs, and that's if he stays healthy. So I, I do like Wilson Ramos as a catcher. I'm just probably hedging my bets a little bit based on, you know, what he did last year. Yeah. That, that's what stinks is like I said, everyone's going to be on the bandwagon. Now he's already going pick 140 overall. And that's one of the top catchers off the board. He's right behind Wilson Contreras. I'd rather have Wilson Ramos than Wilson Contreras. Um, not just because he uses one L instead of two in his name, but uh, <laughs> I think he's a better, the better player right now. I, given Wilson Contreras, the abilities there, but a guy like Wilson Ramos, like you said, when it comes to the catcher's position, it's really hard to get a – they're usually always batting average liabilities. Like you have Buster Posey, who's great, but – and for once he's not, not expensive on draft day. So I might, for the first time as a Giants fan, own Buster Posey. But Wilson Ramos, in his career, has had a 260 or better average in almost every season he's played, all but one season, at full seasons. And that's really, really good for a catcher, which sounds bad at 260. That's really good. You've mentioned he's got those two, uh, a couple seasons over 300. He's been like 275 or better, I think, in like two thirds of his seasons. Like, just that alone is tremendous for a catcher. And that gives you the, you know, a lot of people like to wait on catchers, but the catcher's landscape, you know, I don't want to go full in fancy football, but it feels like tight ends now where you have like three or four really good ones and then it's just this mess of everything else of what's going on. So, I don't know if you like to pay up for catcher, and I really don't want to pay up for catcher, but Wilson Ramos gives you so much stability more than just maybe one – like, you know, because Monty Grandal hits a lot of homers, but does average kills you. Um, there's there's so much fluctuation. Wilson does a little bit of everything very, very well. Yeah, and you're right about that. And, I, you know, it depends on the league format <clears throat> regarding, you know, whether you pay up for catchers or not for me. When I'm playing – so I like to play the NFBC you know, draft champions, 15-team, you know, the 50-round draft. And um, I, I like to play in those deep leagues. That and, and when I'm playing in one of those, I will pay up a little bit for a catcher. I've owned Buster Posey a couple times in, in those kind of leagues. I love to just be able to plug somebody in that you know is going to be an asset in those spots because it's so deep you get to draft so many other players that you're likely going to be able to fill in all your other hitting spots just fine but it's tough to find a good catcher. But in a, in a more shallow league, I, I do like to wait a little bit and, um, and I'll, you know, try to stream or find somebody that, you know, emerges during the season and, uh, or somebody that gets hurt and 
and somebody else steps up and, and is hit, hitting hot for a little while and just plug them into the lineup, especially if you only have one catcher. Two catcher leagues, I think that's when it's time to pay up a little bit. No, those are all great points, and that's uh, that's the age-old debate. Should all leagues be two catchers or one catcher? And, and depth of league is very, very important because you know you play TGFBI with 15, 15 uh, teams, and it, it can get really, really challenging to stream catchers. But I play in a lot of 10- and 12-teamers with friends and everything, and, yeah, you can stream them all day long, and then maybe you hit that Wilson Ramos by, like, the third month of the year because there's always, like, one or two that just burst on the scene, like, oh, okay, this guy's going to be pretty good this year. And um, it'll make it work. Or heck, maybe Yadi Molina at age like seventy four still puts together a great season. I don't know how he keeps doing it, but he does it. So there are uh, options like that, and that's a really, really good point. All right, let's go to a, a move that only the Texas Rangers can make, in my opinion. Um, I guess it's because they need stability and innings eating in a rotation when they rebuild. So I get it. Uh, Lance Lynn got paid three years, thirty million dollars. Good for him. But man, Lance Lynn in Texas sounds like just fantasy. You know DFS paradise. What's your thoughts on Lance Lynn going to Texas? <laughs> yeah, it, it was an ugly season. Uh, twenty eighteen was just for Lance Lynn on the surface. The, the stats were were really ugly. But in taking a closer look at him, I, what I noticed is that he posted the best velocity, the best swing strike rate, and the best ground ball rate of his career when as a starting pitcher. And you know since. You look at look up his, his line there, and with all those ground balls, especially last year, home runs really weren't a problem. So, I, I'm not sure that there's I'm not sure there's much of a ballpark upgrade from New York to Texas, but I do expect um, ERA and WHIP to improve in 2019. Um, probably not enough to make him fantasy relevant, but in the deepest of leagues, you know, there could be there there might be something here. So I'm just wondering how much the Rangers were looking at that, you know, looking at at that bump and velocity and swinging strikes and ground balls and saying, you know, he may have been a little bit unfortunate in 2018. We think he can be a little better. Maybe we see something in him that we can tweak and, and make him even better than that, you know, better than we expect in, in 2019. And, and that's why they paid up. But um, on the surface, yeah, it looks like a, a pretty bad signing. I guess there's a, a glimmer of hope. I don't think I'll own him a whole lot <laughs> in any leagues. I'm, I'm more on your side there, but I guess I can see a little bit of what the Rangers might have been, might have seen in Lance Lynn. And I'm glad you brought that up because I've heard Paul Spore and some other guys talk about it. Uh, we have to remember last year's stats when he, especially early on with the Twins, he didn't have a spring training, so he was learning on the or getting ready, ramped, ramped up on the fly. That's not really a good thing to do against professional baseball players, but. Um, so that's why he had a bit like over five ERA the first what month and a half, two months. And then it's been mentioned, you know, once he got traded to the Yankees and found his groove, you mentioned the velocity went up. He actually pitched overall peripheral stat wise pretty well with the Yankees. Um, and we've seen Lance Lynn in the past years with the with the Cardinals. He's had some some down moments, but he's he before he went to the Twins, he was almost like another consistent pitcher. He gave you, you know, 170 innings or whatever, and he was Three eight ERA, three five to three eight ERA. That's what he did. Now, yes, Texas is scary in the summertime, but even if you can stream him or whatever, he could be useful. He's going over pick for like four oh seven right now, so he's not costing you anything. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to own him by any means because I'm terrified, but as draft dictates, it could become more of an intriguing play because we got a, another couple pitchers here we're going to talk about shortly that are all on that kind of eh, well maybe categories. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right, another kind of quickie, similar to the Justin Bohr situation. Matt Adams goes to the Nats. We know he's played really well there in the past. 
Um, he's basically a left-handed bat to the platoon, I would imagine. Any interest in a Matt Adams, or is he kind of just lumped into that Yonder Alonso justin Bork conversation? Yeah, he's probably in that same conversation there. He's behind Ryan Zimmerman at first base with the Nationals. Um, when when Adams got playing time last year, he was he was pretty good. He showed that he still has he still has really good power, and right, he's probably lumped in with those other guys. If if something were to happen to Zimmerman and Adams were to play every day, I think he has um, you know just like those other guys, probably close to thirty home run upside, but. Chances are it's not going to happen. So I mean, he's a nice bench player for the Nationals. I, I totally get why they would want him on their team. Fantasy wise, you know, maybe if you're in a draft and hold and you can get him in the 40th round or something like that, I could see him being interesting just in case Zimmerman. You know, he's been <laughs> Zimmerman doesn't have the greatest uh, health track record, so there's a decent chance Adams gets pretty good playing time with the Nationals. I could see speculating there, but other than that, I don't, I don't see any great interest in Matt Adams. I like that draft at hold call. It's the kind of really good later round pick to have because, you know, he could get that role. Zimmerman could find the DL two different times this year or something. So yeah. that, that could be very, very intriguing there. All right. Another one of those kind of questionable pitchers. I like the move. I want to see how it works because, you know, Matt Harvey in LA is not always the best situation, but um, <laughs> it's intriguing ballpark wise, division wise. Those are the angels. I actually thought he wasn't horrible with the Reds. Sure, a 4-5 ERA still not great, but there there were gains and glimmers of hope. He was almost getting back to like a K per inning, 111 strikeouts and 128 innings with the Reds. It was You saw games where he pitched really, really well and surprised me and looked like the guy of old. Still not the greatest things, you know. What's your thoughts on a Matt Harvey going to the Angels? I'm like you. I think it was a, a good signing. It's a you know very worthy speculation there from a guy who was as good as he was early in his career there with the Mets and did seem to find his footing to some degree there with with the Reds last year after that trade. I hadn't thought about him being in L.A. and the uh, the uh, behavior problems and issues that that could could come up there. That's a that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> given Matt, he's had he's had fun out there before, just on road trips. So. <laughs> <laughs> it will be. You're, that's a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I, you know, looking at his his overall season line, it was it was horrendous. But uh, after the trade, he was a little bit better. What really intrigues me is the September. If you just isolate his, his September stats, he just seemed to keep getting better and better. In September, it was almost like vintage from a skills perspective. Vintage Matt Harvey, you know, he had a, mm-hmm. a, a 9.5 K per nine, 1.9 walk per nine, giving you a nice, you know, 5.0 walk to you know, strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, he was throwing strikes at an extremely high rate, higher than he even did during his prime with the Mets. His uh, first pitch strike rate was right there where it was during his prime. His swing strike rate, 15% in September, higher than it he'd ever had, you know, with the Mets. Uh, his velocity wasn't all the way back, but we're, we're in September and even after the trade, all of last year, it was pretty solid, 94 miles an hour. After the trade, 94.5, and then September got up to 94.7. Uh, he still was having home run issues, so that's going to be the, the thing to watch. But, uh, you know, L.A. may help a little bit with that, certainly over <laughs> over Cincinnati. Um, and, you know, what I looking at him a little closer, what I what I noticed in September, the thing that really made the big jump there that helped him make that big jump in swing strike rate from, you know, 10 percent on the season to 15 percent in September was that he started throwing his curveball more. Uh, he threw it 10 percent of the time in September 
and the swinging strike rate on that pitch spiked to 28% in September. So I gave him just, you know, along with his slider, gave him another strikeout pitch. And I think if, if that, if he figured something out there with that pitch in September, that's going to carry over into 2019, it could be a lot like Trevor Bauer. You know, that's exactly how he finished 2017 was with that similar sort of a, a spike there. And, and, you know, I was a little skeptical, like you know, Trevor Bauer has this long track record of, of not being, you know, very good, not having great control. But then we saw that he really did figure something out later there in the season and it carried over. So if that's the case with Matt Harvey here as well, uh, that he may, he may be someone that's interesting for uh, fantasy owners in 2019. Okay. This is terrifying because I agree with everything you say. I mean, those were a lot of really, really good uh, stats there. And I, I was with you on the September. Like I went late August in the September. I owned him on. I picked him up in season long leagues. I do a daily DFS show Monday through Friday, and I pretty much was recommending him every time out. People thought I was crazy, and it was just something looked different with Matt Harvey. And I, I don't know what it was. There could be a million answers to that, man. So I've always said his biggest issues between his ears and the the talents there. And I think Jason Collette came out with an article or some tweets the other day since he had his thoracic outlet uh, surgery, just a difference in numbers, velocities, and all that. And that's to me, was stuff that was expected. And to see the improvements, like you mentioned there, towards the end of the season, I think going to L.A. could be really interesting. It's a very good pitcher's ballpark. Um, he's going to get to pitch games in Oakland also, in Seattle. Sure, uh, the Astros are going to be scary. Sure, Texas is not fun. But, you know, three out of five, not bad. I, I think there's a lot to be intrigued with here. He's going about 368, 370 overall. You could do a lot worse at that point in your draft on a guy like Matt Harvey, especially uh, if you got like a caper nine league or whatever. Because one thing I noticed the Reds started doing really well, it felt like, and I didn't really pay attention to pitch counts as much. Maybe that had something to do with it. It seemed like they give him five or six innings and get him out of there before he could get to that kind of, is he tired? Is he in no man's land? Is it the third time through the order? All those things that could get Matt Harvey in trouble. It's like, okay, he uses curveball more. He uses fastball more. Let's get him out of here. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. So, It'll be fun to see how that works. Yeah, it really will. He's a, he's an interesting guy for for next year. The one thing that I I did notice that gave me a little bit of pause, you know, because he did have the home run issues. He, his home run per nine last year was you know one point six, which is you know above league average, and it, it got worse even as he got better in September. It was up to one point nine, and and you see that he I was taking a look at it, and he permitted hard contact on thirty nine percent of the balls that batters put in play against him in twenty in twenty eighteen, which. So his career average prior to 18 was 28%. So I'm just wondering, you know, what was he just throwing meatballs down the middle of the plate? You know what? I didn't get a chance to watch him a whole lot. I'm not sure why batters were able to square him up so much more last year than they had previously. But that's the one thing that really does give me give me pause. But as you mentioned, given his ADP right now in the mid 300s, I'm, I'm drafting him. I, I've done my first NFBC draft champions league and I, I drafted him in that league. And I'll, as long as his ADP doesn't rise much, I'll probably get him in most of my leagues. I love it. Uh, another move the Angels made. I really like what the Angels are doing right now. They're trying. They're they're trying to go for it while they have Trout. I get it, and they're not breaking the bank in the process. They go and get Trevor Cahill. So they get Cahill and Harvey for combined like twenty two million dollars. I think is outstanding. Um, Cahill sure comes with the injury risk. We have that's been well established. But when he's out there, he's really darn good, and he throws that slider more than almost anybody in baseball. But really, really talented. Could be a great fit. What's your thoughts on Trevor Cahill? Like you said, yeah, he's, when he's healthy, 
He gets ground balls with all four of his pitchers. He throws a sinker, a change, a slider, and a curveball. All of them get ground balls. And the three off-speed pitches, all of them can be, you know, on any given day, they can be a strikeout pitch, um, especially that changeup. The, the problem with, with Cahill is that it seems to me, and I, I've tried watching him a lot over the last few years because he's always intriguing, and I just want to see, you know, how does this guy succeed and see if it's something I can bank on. And what I've noticed is that it seems like he really needs to be completely healthy to pitch well, which I think most pitchers, you've probably heard the saying that no pitcher is ever really healthy. Like they're always nursing some sort of an injury. Um, it's just, can you pitch through it or not? But it seems with Cahill that when he's really healthy, he pitches well, but if anything's off at all, physically, he, he seems to struggle. So I mean, to me, he's a, he's a streaming option when things are going well, but I just, I can't count on Trevor Cahill as a, anything more than that you know you're you can't count on him for for innings and you can't really can't even count on him to pitch well consistently i I like him he's he is intriguing but you know i think he is what he is at this point yeah probably four different times last year that's just how it went with trevor gale so totally agree with what you have to say there um let's go to cleveland back to cleveland i should say or uh, leaving cleveland going to houston the Astros get Michael Brantley, two years, $32 million. Um, the salary alone, I think, is outstanding if he stays healthy. That's a big if with Michael Brantley. But we've seen, you know, outside of 2016 and 2017, he's playing about 140 games or more. And when he does that, he is extremely productive. Um, what's your thoughts on Brantley going to one of the title yearly title contenders right now on a pretty darn good contract? Yeah, interestingly enough, the I was taking a look at the ballpark factors and – it's it's not favorable for him. It's actually a, de- a decline in, in ballpark factors. That, I mean, that may hurt him a little bit, but he's not a power hitter, right? So Michael Brantley, he's, his bread and butter is that he makes contact frequently and he makes hard contact frequently. And that's what, I, you know, I really like him. I've, I've owned him in a lot of teams, and it's rare to find somebody who's a true, consistent batting average asset who – you know, it's not Babbitt-induced. You can look at the at the contact rates and the and the line drive rates and the hard hit rates, and you say, yes, this guy is a legit 300 hitter. And you know, unless something changes, he's going to keep hitting right around 300. I think that's pretty rare in this era. So I like him a lot for that. Um, uh, when he's healthy, like you said, he's a great producer. He does hit for a little bit of pop, and he has he's not he doesn't have speed really. I mean, he he steals bases, but he's not a fast base runner. He's his uh, sprint speeds are below average, but he has uh, obviously learned the art, the craft of, of stealing bases. And you look at his stolen base success rates, you know, 2014, 96%, 2015, 94%, 92%, last year, 80%. He's, he's always well above the uh, break-even point, and, and I think teams will continue to let him to run. I think the Astros will continue letting him run. Is he picks his spots well? So, you know, you're probably looking at a, another repeat season from him. I think you know the 300 batting average, another 15 home runs, another 10 plus stolen bases, and he's a he's a real nice player there. Yeah, I like him quite a bit. He's going 126 right now in NFBC. Playing a little comparisons with you just for fun at 123, and another guy with tons of injury risk and doesn't have a home right now. But AJ Pollock, how do you who would you rather have between those two? Hmm, that's a good comparison. I actually own both of them in my dynasty league. Uh, I, I probably, I probably, yeah, you said they both have injury risk. I'd probably go with Brantley right now, just because I, I like to know what I have. And with Pollock, it's just so, he's so all over the place. I mean, is he a 
Is he a speed guy? Is he a power guy? Last year it looked like he was more power than speed, but for most of his career, he's been more speed than power. And um, I'm, I'm just not quite sure what to expect with him. So if for just team construction purposes, knowing what I have, I'd rather go with Brantley right now. Uh, there's a couple others here, but there's just one other I'll ask you. I said Brantley 126 at 130. You got David Peralta coming off a career season in Arizona. Who would you rather have? Oh, yeah, and I'll, and I'll still go with – I'll take Brantley there again. Uh, just go with that consistency. Perfect, yeah. Br- uh, Peralta was awesome. It was just – let's uh, let's see that happen again because he's another guy with injury concerns. Like, he doesn't stay healthy very often either. It's a common theme in that little range. There's a lot of interesting players in that area. All right, let's go to San Diego. This is a – I don't know how they signed them this cheap. I really don't think it's phenomenal for the San Diego Padres. Um, you know, you just want to go glove, want a World Series with the Red Sox, Ian Kinsler – He's probably a good veteran piece, kind of a placeholder as the young guys come up. But for now, he's their starting second baseman, um, and that, that does have some some you know value, especially going around pick like three seventy four right now. What's your interest in Ian Kinsler? So he's still, I mean, even like you said, at age thirty seven, he still has excellent plate discipline and enough power and speed to provide double digit home runs and stolen bases. Uh, he's he's been really unfortunate in the BABIP department the last two years. And if that regresses uh, close to his career rate of you know, like around 290, he'd probably hit around 260 or so. So I think that Kensler's still chugging along. And, you know, he's, he's not that guy that he once was when he was a 30-30, you know, star player. But there's still value to be had from him as an everyday player who can get you a little bit of pop and a little bit of speed and, and maybe even hit for decent batting average. Yeah, no, I think there's something to like there for sure. Um, let's go to your boys in the Nats. They, you know, they let Tanner work go to Cincinnati. That was, you know, I've heard so many different reactions to that. Um, but they go and get Animal Sanchez. To me, without even just when I first heard the announcement, I didn't look at any stats. I still haven't really dug into them, and I could be way, way off. But just in general terms, basically they just swap players. In my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think Animal could be a little better, but Tanner's shown signs of being really good too. Um, I get Tanner um, was going to be leaving soon. You bring Animal in off of a great season. I've seen all the stuff on his pitch mix changes and everything, but what's your thoughts on Animal Sanchez? You know, you could say for your Nats for one, and then fantasy wise. Okay, yeah, from my Nats, I really I'm not sure I understood the move. I, I like Tanner Roark, and he was a guy that I thought had some upside last year. It didn't didn't really come to fruition, but in draft season, I, I grabbed him in a number of leagues in 2018. Um, so I, I I'm not sure I really understood the move yet or what they're trying to do there. But uh, in Mike Rizzo, we trust, right? <laughs> he's, for the most part, he's he's done a really good job, I think, as a national general manager. So I'll, I'm sure he knows a lot more about what he's doing here than I would. I, I didn't see the rationale behind it, but, uh, but we'll trust him for now. Um, from a fantasy perspective, I don't – you know, Sanchez was one of those guys that I, I was speculating on last year, in, and again, in the draft and hold leagues, really deep – I drafted him in a number of leagues and he ended up being an asset. You know, he ended up pitching pretty well and I was able to use him. And I was happy about that. And it was a skills based thing. So even when Sanchez has been really bad, you could take a closer look under the hood and you could see that there were still some things there. He could still miss bats. He still had, um, he was still throwing enough strikes that he should have decent control, even though he, his control got pretty bad there for a bit. Um, and I, you know, so there's, there's always a little something there. Now, last year, Sanchez probably pitched over his head. I don't see him repeating that this year. So 
Uh, I think that he could, you know, he's somebody that depending on where you could get him, you may be able to use him a little bit. He's, he's injury prone. The, the stuff, the velocity is not what it once was. Um, but like you said, there was a pitch mix change and that did help elevate his, his game some. So there's a little bit of, of legitimacy to that. I think, you know, I'm not terribly excited about him for any league. I, I don't, I didn't draft him in, in the one league that I, uh, have drafted already, but uh, he, he was certainly on my list. So he's somebody you could look at, but nothing too exciting. Yeah, he, he's intriguing because, yeah, the metrics were there. And, yeah, it was Eno Saris wrote a huge article on the different adjustments in his pitch mixes. And that's yeah, all fine and dandy. I, I get it. But he seemed to really limit the, the home runs. And then I find out it really shocked me at the end of the year because the way the season started for the end of the year that um, the ballpark there in Atlanta was very, very pitcher friendly when it came to the home run ball, which shocked me. Uh, it felt like every time you're watching the game, it was home run derby at times, but no, it was really not. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plans out for him. He's not horrible. He's not bad, but uh, very interesting for Anibal Sanchez. Well, that's the thing. And you mentioned the, the home run friendliness there. That's not real home run friendly Atlanta, but Nats Park is. I think Rob Silver posted on Twitter the other day, like the most home run friendly ballparks last year. And I think, I think national stadium came in fourth or fifth, something like that. So that could be a problem for Sanchez next year. Could be very interesting there. Um, The Cardinals, they may have found a closer. Like they won't commit to him being the closer fully because, you know, it might be Aaron Hicks part of the time. It might not be plus the ever changing landscape in baseball where I just want my best pitcher to pitch the best teams, which in theory is the way to do it. Like, that is correct. When it comes to fantasy, it's a big pain in our rear end. Um, they go and sign Andrew Miller, who had one of his not-so-good years, but overall we know what he can do. Could just be the wear and tear finally getting to him. What's your thoughts on Andrew Miller going to St. Louis fantasy-wise? Like, how is this going to be worth it? Because he's one of the big guns, but there's still a lot of question marks. Yeah, and I think he's it's pretty much the status quo for him right now. I mean, he did have knee, shoulder, and hammy injuries last year that I think likely contributed to the poor numbers, you know, the ERA and whip that he posted. Skills were also down a little bit, but they're still sufficient for him to, to close, certainly. Uh, and like you mentioned, Jordan Hicks is there. He may end up sharing closing duties, but that's been kind of Miller's. It's been what's happened with him throughout his career. You know, he's never really been – the closer for, you know, he hasn't been consistently a 40 save guy. They've utilized him as a left-hander in those high leverage situations, which like you said, completely makes sense. And I think it's going to be the same thing with the Cardinals. They're a smart, smart organization. They're going to use him uh, the best they can to win ball games. And that may not always be, you know, pitching in the ninth inning with the bases empty and a three run lead. You know, that's, so I think it's probably going to be the same thing, maybe 20 saves from him, but probably some stellar, ERA whip and strikeouts. Yeah, r- real quick, I'll just I'll ask this question. I have the Twitter my Twitter poll going out there right now is with this ever changing closer landscape. And in in the old days when you kind of could rely on at least twenty of the thirty teams holding one guy for most of the year, you just wait on closers till the end. That was just kind of how it was, or at least middle of your draft. Now it's like four or five guys you trust a hundred percent are going to be there barring an injury, which you can't predict. And then there's like a handful of really good ones, like an Andrew Miller of 20 plus saves. And then there's like five to 10 teams at times that you have no clue what that's going to go on. So how do you approach the closers landscape? Like you're talking to your draft and holds or just leagues in general. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for most of the time that I've played fantasy baseball, I have waited on closers and haven't bought them at all. And, you know, bought a few guys, maybe at the end, a few speculative, speculative guys. And I've won many leagues doing it that way, but 
in recent years with the changes to the landscape, I have found that you need to, I've needed to invest a little bit more in closers. And, and so I, I usually don't try to grab the top guys, but I will try to grab, you know, two or three. So even in, in this last drafting hole that I did, I, I did draft, ended up drafting three closers. And I think I used like my seventh, eighth and ninth round picks on, on closers, guys that I felt had a pretty good hold on, on the role. And I, you know, if, if you're in a league that just uses saves, you know, a lot of leagues use saves and holds or saves times two plus holds, you know, there's a lot of different um, variables out there, iterations, but if you're in a league that just uses saves and you've got to get them if you want to compete. And I think if, you, if you're going to do that, you have to pay up and, and get yourself a few good ones and then speculate later in the draft, you know, maybe for, so in those deeper leagues in the 40 through 50 round range on, on high upside arms that could end up closing. And there's, they're, you know, they're plentiful. So you can wait on those guys till the end. Yeah. No doubt about it. I was just like, you know, I used to wait forever and it's just kind of, it's getting interesting now. Very, very interesting. And having to change philosophy is, is, is always yeah. part of the game. Makes it fun. Yep, exactly. Um, a fun trade that took place over the holidays. And as, you know, a Bay Area Giants fan, I do appreciate the A's. I watch the A's. I enjoy the A's. They're fun, especially when the Giants suck right now. I enjoy the A's a lot. So when I saw them go and trade for Jerks and Profar, and there were obviously prospects and draft picks and international money we don't need to talk about, Jerks and Profar – Going to the Oakland A's to get everyday playing time, coming off one of his better seasons, still very, very young. And I, I really don't know what's not to like about this deal, but if you have something, let me know. because I I must have my, my rose-colored glasses on right now because I have nothing but great things to say about this deal. What's your thoughts on Profar going to the A's? Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Nice move for the A's in general, just to land a guy like that. It was a former top prospect, like the top prospect in baseball. And, you know, suffered that shoulder injury that took him years to come back from. And I think what we saw is just that, it, it, you know, he didn't regain full strength in that shoulder. What we wondered was, would he ever be able to get that shoulder back to where it was? And maybe, maybe not. I don't know that he ever had a great arm for, you know, a great you know, defensive arm for throwing the ball. I can't remember, but I know it's not where they're going to be putting him back at shortstop probably now. But, uh it, the shoulder has recovered enough that he seems to have regained a lot of that batting potential that he once had. And we saw that throughout last uh, throughout 2018, especially as the season progressed, he kept getting better and better and better. We, uh, you know, looking at his second half line there, it's really impressive. One of the metrics that we use a lot at baseball HQ is uh, we call it hard contact index. And it's a, it's a, combination of hard hit balls with contact rate and it's put on a league average scale. So Profar recorded a 130, 130 hard contact index in the second half, which means that he was 30, he was making, he was putting hard hit balls in play at a rate of 30% better than the league average hitter, which is extremely impressive. That would be one of the top rates in the league. Um, he also was hitting, uh, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that I like hard hit fly balls a lot. He was hitting a lot more hard hit fly balls in the second half. His average excellent velocity of his fly balls spiked up to about 93 miles an hour and his average fly ball distance up to 330, 332 feet. So he was, he was doing a lot more with the contact he was making. And, and what, what he didn't do, which you really like to see with somebody who starts hitting the ball harder and harder in the air more, is he didn't have to open his swing to do it. He was still making contact at a pretty high rate 
and taking his walk. So, you know, you know, it's still a nice, you know, point point six two, you know, walk to strikeout ratio. And um, he was very impressive. Also with Profar, he's not a burner. He's he's not somebody that's you know going to steal uh, thirty or forty bags, but he does have you know average to maybe slightly above average speed. And he was, I was looking at him preparing for this podcast. I hadn't realized it before, but he was perfect on his stolen base attempts last year, ten for ten. And uh, his minor league success rate was seventy six percent. So this is a guy I think that he knows how to steal bases. He knows what to look for and when to pick his spots and. I think there's a lot of uh, upside still left in this young hitter. I think we could see a, a pretty good, um, every, you know, pretty good production from him in an everyday role with power, speed, and batting average. Yeah, there's a lot to like there. Playing in Oco Coliseum is going to hurt a bit, but still, there's I think the talent's there and everyday playing time. And he's going to keep getting better, like you mentioned. It might just been him getting over those injuries, and it takes time for these guys. And still, so young, we still haven't even probably seen his peak yet. I was going about pick 119 right now with multi-position eligibility. I think there's a ton to like about Jerickson Profar. He's uh, really big on my list, and uh, I like what I see there. All right, a couple of relievers we can quick hit on. Joaquin Soria, Joe Kelly found new landing spots. Um, for now, they're going to be set-up men, potentially could fill in for some closers, maybe just good ratios. Uh, any interest in them, or what kind of formats would you be interested in them in? Mm-hmm. So with Soria, I think I would still would be interested in him. He's one of those guys that I would speculate on late, you know, in a draft and hold league as a as a potential, you know, fill in closer at some point. You know, Blake Trinan obviously has the job there in Oakland, and he's just amazing. <laughs> we all love watching the gifts of his his uh, you know ninety nine mile an hour sinkers that just move like a slider. It's, he's he's amazing, but uh, you know. He hadn't been that consistent previously. Have watching watching him in Washington here, he kind of stunk here. So you never know what's going to happen year to year, especially with closers. It's they're highly volatile, and you never know when an injury is going to pop up. And Soria, despite being thirty five years old, still has stellar skills. And you know, if he got the shot at closing, he definitely has the skills to run with it. Mm-hmm, definitely. And with Joe Kelly, I, you know, he throws hard. We all know that. He, we love watching that velocity. You know, he pumps it up there at 100 miles an hour, but uh, he's just not skilled enough to close or really even to use as a middle reliever, in my opinion. He's just not somebody that I'd be interested in at all. Yeah, I agree. Soria, he's got the pedigree. We've seen him do it. I, I like the idea there. Uh, Trenton's a, a monster, but uh, Soria definitely get his work, and we saw how well Familia filled in there when he came over, so I, I do like that quite a bit. When it comes to to Kelly, you really got to think, man, the Dodgers just paid for like nine amazing postseason games. That was outstanding work there by Joe Kelly's agent. But um, yeah, like the, the velocity's fun and all. He's got that you know weird, quirky personality that some people love, some people hate. But that's about as far as it goes fantasy wise for me. Yeah, agreed. All right, there is another really good side, and I really a big fan of the Jerks profile trade. Really big fan of the Daniel Murphy signing with the Rockies. We, um, you know, injury riddled season, went to the Cubs, played pretty well once he went there. Still played well for the Nats, too. But um, we've seen what he can do when he's healthy and playing full seasons. He's a 300 plus hitter. He's got 20 plus homer potential. There's a lot to like with Daniel Murphy. He's you know, going to be 34 this year, but still playing in Coors Field. Not a lot not to like here, in my opinion. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, yeah, it's. You know the thing that when you think of Coors Field, you think it's the best hitting environment that that baseball has to offer. 
Now, it may not be the most home run friendly environment, but it is home run friendly. But it, what it really does is it boosts batting averages. Coors Field boosts batting averages more than any other ballpark. I mean, significantly more than any other ballpark. You've got Daniel Murphy. Murphy is already a batting average asset. You know, he's got the high contact, the the hard contact, a lot like Michael Brantley in that way. He's just one of those guys that you can pretty much count on nowadays for a good batting average. And uh, going to Coors Field is just only going to enhance that. I mean, he could certainly challenge for a batting average title, I think, uh, in the next season or so. But the thing is, he didn't – the power was off a little bit last year in D.C. and and in Chicago. And I just wonder if it was injury-related, if he just never quite fully got his legs under him and was able to recover, and if he's, you know, able to get back to full strength here in the offseason, if we'll see that power spike back again to where it had been – you know, in 2017, or if it's, you know, an age-related decline, that's that I'm not sure on. But, you know, you draft Daniel Murphy for that batting average and, and hope for the, you know, he's not, the ADP is not bad. So he's he's definitely somebody I'm, I'm looking at to fill my second base or middle infield spot in 2019. Yeah, you put him in a lineup with Trevor Story, who's, who's blowing up again. You have Blackman, you have Arenado. It's not going to suck having Daniel Murphy in there. Um, you, you can tell I think he's already getting the Coors boost when it comes to NFBC because his, his lowest pick at one point in time was 231. Now he's up to 83. Uh, oh, he's, wow. still, he's still averaging 160, but like it shows you the variance there. I'm pretty sure 83 came most recently just based on the signing would be my guess. But um, still a lot to like there. And guys, you know, I'm not going to go over average ADP, but draft pick-wise, you know, Rugnit Odor's highest draft pick's 82. Do you go Daniel Murphy to go Rugen and Odor? Because some still believe Rugen's young and going to continue to improve. But, man, that batting average could be just a, a tremendous liability. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll take Daniel Murphy over Odor any day. Yeah, so Murphy, like a couple others we've mentioned here, now that they have new landing spots, the ADPs are going to be very, very fun to rise. And I, I reference ADP a lot just because it gives talking points. I mentioned this on a lot of my shows. But it's not the end-all, be-all for listeners. Like, don't just run to ADP. But – it's a good kind of gauge on where you need to be looking at things, at least in my opinion, where you can find value, other things like that come draft time. Um, a big trade that took place, Reds, Dodgers. Um, the Dodgers are good for these salary dump trades, and poor Matt Kemp seems to be in them all the time. But um, Yasiel Puig, Matt Kemp, Alex Wood go to Cincinnati. Homer Bailey comes back with some prospects. Bailey's going to be released, so I'm not worrying about that right now. Prospects are fine and dandy. We can talk about that on a dynasty show. But most importantly – I want to hear Yasiel Puig in Great American Ballpark. As a Giants fan, I have hated Puig my whole life. There's been like 5% of me that has enjoyed watching him because he's just fun and funny. But as a Giants fan, I cannot enjoy him. Now I am excited to watch Yasiel Puig and maybe on my fantasy teams. What's your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, Puig, you're right. He's been entertaining the whole time he's been in the league. You know, the the racing, you know, getting talking to himself in the back of the cop car. Why do you have to race, Puig? You know, it's, he's, he's been a riot. He's been a lot of fun to watch. The, the antics at the plate, the strong arm, you know, trying to show it off in right field and gun runners down at third base. I, I've really enjoyed watching him. But uh, you, you would, he would seem to certainly prospect trade going to from Dodger Stadium that is not friendly to right-handed power to you know, Great American Ballpark that increases right-handed power by – about 18% over a neutral environment. So this would certainly seem to to favor both Puig and Kemp as far as uh, home run power goes in 2019. Um, you know, after returning from an oblique injury in late July, we saw Puig 
he went big. You know, he posted a 900 plus OPS over the final two months of the season, 14 home runs, eight stolen bases, and only 175 at bats. Now, if you're quick at doing the math, that's that's 44 home runs and 25 stolen base pace over a full season, which you know we don't want to get too carried away, but uh, it just shows you the kind of uh, explosive finish that Puig had, and he's entering his age 28 season. So, you know, he very well could be primed for a big year in these new in this new hitter-friendly uh, ballpark. But, you know, I would still tend to temper expectations a bit with Puig. Um, you know, he's proven, as we mentioned, he's proven volatile in both performance and personality over the years, which does add risk to his profile. Um, and additionally, he just simply... He doesn't put enough hard hit balls into the air for me to have uh, much faith in him surpassing that 30 home run plateau. Uh, his his hard hit fly ball rate last year was was 14 percent, which is only slightly above the league average of 13.3 percent. Most of the big you know 30 home run sluggers are are well above that. Uh, so you know I, there's certainly some exciting things about Puig. You know the new ballpark, all the latent talent that he has that physical prowess. You can just see him oozing athleticism, but uh, there's still plenty of reasons to be a little bit skeptical on him. And, you know, with Matt Kemp, I, you know, he's, he's unexciting. I mean, he's still got some pop to him, but the, the Matt Kemp that almost went 40, 40 a number of years ago is, is long gone. You mean MV or all-star Matt Kemp? Isn't no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he's going or like, after 300s, but I wouldn't be shocked if he still gets traded again. So yeah. we'll have to wait and see where he goes. There's too many pieces. Now they're blocking Scott Shevler. They're blocking Jesse Winker. It's like, okay, get Kemp out of here. You're you're a rebuilding team that are making moves to be competitive now, but don't screw up the rebuild. So right. get get him out of the way. Like, I, I like the Puig move because it does help you. Tanner work in the rotation helps you. Alex Wood, you know, it's giving you depth in your rotation. All these things you need. The same time, you're not going to let your young kids play it makes zero sense. So, figure yeah. that part out, and they will. They, I've been really impressed with what the Reds are doing. I thought they were, you know, at the end of the season before they made any moves, I thought the Reds were a good two or three years away still. If they keep making a couple more little moves here and bring a prospect or two up, named Nick Senzel and a few others. Really, realistically, they might be a lot closer than we think in a, in a division that's just going to beat up each other all year long. So, oh yeah, you're right. I mean, having exciting young guys like Jesse Winker, you know, I mean that. The way he what happened right before his shoulder injury, he was hitting for power and that kind of plate discipline. I mean, it he looks really exciting. I'm really hoping that shoulder comes back full strength here in 2019. The Reds could be could be very interesting. And let's not forget Scooter Jeanette, everybody. Um, true. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love Scooter. I have nothing bad to say about Scooter. Um, the last piece of this, and this is I'm just going to ask you about Alex Wood because he just baffles me. Like when I watch him some games, I'm like, how is this guy even a top end pitcher? I got like, you know, at least a good number three because he just gets shelled. And he looks so hittable. And there's other games where he just lights out filthy. Um, and there's injury concerns with him. And he goes to Great American Small Park, which always scares me. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on Alex Wood? Because it depends on where you listen right now. Some people are still very excited on him. And then there's guys like me where I'm just staying away at all costs. Yeah, I'm probably in the same camp as you. I, I don't think I'll own many shares of Alex Wood uh, in 2019. You know, the, the velocity was down. I think he needs that. You know, the, the, in 2017, he was really good. And it was in part because the velocity spiked back up. You know, he was back up to near 92 miles an hour. And last year he was down below 90. And I just don't think that he, you know, as a lefty, you can get by with a little less velocity. And I think he's pretty good when he's 91, 92. Um, but when he's sub 90, I just, I don't think he's got the stuff to to uh, to pitch around that fastball. I don't know. I'm, I'm not terribly optimistic either. 
All right. Let's go back to Oakland. Another typical Oakland A signing, one I thought they should have done right away. Doesn't light the world on fire by any means. And that just really not intentional now that I thought about it. But Mike Fires, I wow. Mike Fires um had a really surprisingly good season last year between Oakland and Detroit, a three five six ERA and hundred and seventy two innings pitched. Um I think they take that any day of the week. You're you're expecting probably more like four, four and a half ERA. But pitching in that ballpark does not hurt. Um, I think it's a great move for them. Any fantasy relevance here? A little bit. I think in deep leagues, you know, there's something to be said for fires. He can get you some innings. Uh, I agree. He's probably a little bit of uh, ERA and whip regression is due him in, in 2019. He pitched, you know, beyond his peripherals. The uh, So I, I think you're probably right there. He's another guy that's a soft tosser with, you know, doesn't really have strikeout stuff. Um, pitched with solid control last year, but better than any control level he'd ever posted previously. So, you know, you, in, in Oakland, it could be he could have a little bit of value in deeper leagues as a as a you know, last resort type of starter, but uh, nothing nothing exciting there. All right, he's going around a couple guys. Would you have Fires or Matt Boyd? I'll take Boyd. I uh, like his last name first of all, and uh, he's uh, no relation, of course, but. Uh, He's he's another he's a lefty that had a little bit of a velocity spike, and I've always been interested in Boyd's stuff. He he does have a few off speed pitches that have intrigued me. And when he has the when he has his solid velocity, which seems to kind of come and go a little bit based on health and a little bit based on mechanics, um, but when he does have it all working, there's 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 something there. And he's a lot younger than Fires too, so I, I'd give him a, a little bit of an edge there with with as far as upside goes. Mike Fires or the just giant question mark named Luke Weaver? And again, I'll go with Luke Weaver there too for the upside. It's still, wow. you know, he, he wasn't, I thought he was overdrafted last year. I wasn't interested in him at all in, in 2018 drafts based on that small sample 2017 breakout he had. But the uh, now he's his price has dropped quite a bit and I'm a little bit more interested again. And last one Mike Fires or Jake Junis? I'll probably go fires here. Actually, I don't see a whole lot of upside in Junis, so I'd probably stick right. with fires reliability there. Perfect. Uh, here's another signing I liked a lot. The Rays are a fun team to root for. If you don't have too many biases out there, they're always entertaining. They always do something different. They're always really young. They signed a veteran here to stabilize this rotation, and I like it a lot because the rotation is young and looking really good this year. But you throw in a guy like Charlie Morton, who yeah, there's injury questions, which seems to be a trend, but this stuff has been outstanding since he's gone to Houston and developed that slider that he has there. So what's your thoughts on Charlie Morton going to, to Tampa Bay? Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a really nice landing spot for him going there. It's a, you know, there's a net when you add the difference between the two stadiums, it's a net 29% home run suppression increase from Minute Maid Park to, to Tropicana field. Wow. Minute Maid. And I suddenly have a hankering for some orange juice. Is that <laughs> Minute <Maid> Park? <laughs> At least it's not but, Enron still because we'd be depressed. So it's yeah. Great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Morton is he's 35 years old and he did seem to tire a bit as the season progressed last year. He was, you know, he was firing 96 mile an hour fastballs in April and May, but that his velocity slowly eroded each month as the season progressed. And he ended up bottoming out around 94.7 in September. But uh, I think some of that may have been due to injuries and some of it just due to him getting older. So, uh, or just being getting tired, I should say, being old and, and getting tired as the season went on, which doesn't happen to every pitcher. And Houston does seem to have a, a little bit of a magic formula there for those older pitchers. But uh, 
but it, it, that was the case with Morton. I still think that he'll be, you know, maybe look for the same sort of a thing from him. If, if he starts this year pumping up those fastballs again at a higher velocity and is pitching really well, he might be a nice uh, sell-high uh, candidate as he's likely to probably tire out or get injured as the season progresses. But I agree with you. It's a, it's a nice signing. There's certainly fantasy value there. It just depends on, uh, depends on cost. Yeah, and the cost right now, he's going 111th overall, uh, which is a little steep. And let's compare a few. It's, you know, got him at 111, Robbie Ray at 115. I'll go Robbie Ray there. I like the younger guy. I like that strikeout stuff. Uh, and I, I, I'm a, I've watched a lot of Robbie Ray pitch, and I think he's just on the cusp of, of taking it to that next level. So I, I definitely go Ray there. If Robbie Ray could ever limit the walks, my goodness, he could be scary. Um, yeah, Charlie Morton at 111 or Kyle Freeland at 117. Oh, that's a tough one for me. I I don't like soft tossers, so I, I'd probably end up going with more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what he did last year might be one of the greatest single achievements on, on the face of starting pitching. I don't know how he did it. Yeah, I agree with you. So I, I'm going Morton all the way here, actually. And then the last one, just for fun, because everybody loved them last year. And the hype, surprisingly, on ADP-wise, is still up there. But Charlie Morton at 111 or Luis Castillo at 120. Oh, and that's an easy call for me. I'm a I'm a Luis Castillo fanboy, so I'm, I I'm love definitely yeah yeah I'm going with him all the day. I mean, I think he's another guy I watched a lot of the last couple of years. Just wanted to figure out who he is and what he's got. And that that changeup is just filthy. And then when the slider's working too, it's I mean he can be unhittable. I think he's got he's got number one ace potential if he can just put it all together and and work on that fastball command a little bit. You know, I mean he's. We talk a lot about his fastball velocity, and I think that he needs to have that, you know, 97 mile an hour fastball velocity because he doesn't have great fastball command. But, you know, if you we've seen plenty of pitchers with without, you know, high velocity fastballs that can get by when they can command it. So it's like with Castillo, we just need to see either either one or the other, right? Either he keeps that velocity or he improves his command. And let's hope that it's it's the the latter because it seems more sustainable than, than staying healthy and throwing 98 all the time. I think people need to go teach kids these days. Just let them go watch Greg Maddox games for a little while and they realize you can do a lot without, without you know, throwing 98 miles an hour. Uh, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Luis Castillo, when that arsenal is in full effect, it is terrifying. So I, it'd be great to watch. I was all in on him last year, and then I was the stubborn guy that I would just wouldn't drop him. I'm like, I can't drop him. Like, I, I can't do it. And I know that's a fault for a lot of fantasy players. I, I dropped a lot of other guys. I was the idiot that dropped Matt Carpenter for crying out loud. Okay, so <laughs> it was one of those years. Right, it's, it didn't matter what I did last year. At times, it was very, very frustrating. But uh, yeah, um, you know, we started off talking about Mr. Consistency and Carlos Santana. Well, let's get to maybe Senor Consistency. The boomstick, Nelson Cruz going to Minnesota. I was hoping Tampa Bay, but Minnesota is a phenomenal landing spot. That offense is going to hit a lot of home runs this year in a very home run friendly ballpark that many don't think is home run friendly. But Woe Nelly going to Minnesota, I guess, in my opinion, he's going to be the same great hitter. What's your thoughts on him? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, he's he's thirty nine years old. He's that's that's really old in baseball years. I, I, I compared him to a fine wine yesterday. Yeah, that's and that's you're right. He has he's really seasoned well, and he's uh, he just keeps chugging along, producing the same sort of things. I mean, I think in the in the baseball forecaster, the whoever wrote up his uh, little box there said something like, "One of these years, he's going to fall off," but it doesn't look like it's going to be twenty nineteen. You know, he still looks like the pretty much the same guy that 
is, you know, he posted a 900 plus OPS there for three straight years uh, between 2015 and 2017. Dropped down a little bit to 850 last year, but he's still just a great power hitter. So I, yeah, I don't expect too much of a difference here from from Nelly in Minnesota. Yeah, I absolutely love him this year. Um, let's just have a fun. Would who do you think falls off first? And this is kind of rude to be pessimistic about it, but uh, do you think Nelson Cruz or Edwin is the first one to guy? Because they're both just still crushing the baseball. So which one do you think falls apart first? Oh, man, that's a tough call, isn't it? I mean, they're both old guys that we're trusting to keep hitting. So eventually one will. (laughs) I guess I'd probably, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Cruz just because I think he's a little bit older, isn't he? I think Carrasco is 36. Yeah, Cruz is 39. So I guess I'd go with him if I have to choose one just because of that. But, yeah, they're both pretty reliable and consistent. What about you? Uh, for part of me wants to say Edwin just because the, you know, the swinging strikes and all that good stuff is slowly getting worse, but yeah, Nelson's older. So if you just go by laws of, you know, what's real in the world, you'd imagine it'd be him, but man, you know, just sitting there and just crushing home runs the way he does. is pretty darn impressive. So I hope yeah. they, I hope neither does. I hope they both play like Julio Franco times. Like give me some Julio Franco. Kids don't even know who Julio Franco is anymore. <laughs> that was like 48 hitting 20 plus home runs a year. It's crazy. I know, but, really. That'd be that'd be fun to see these guys do that. Yeah, but uh, one last one. I, I forgot to put it on the outline, and if you don't have a lot of info, it's fine. Just we'll spitball for a minute here. But uh, it, it intrigued me, Domingo Santana getting traded to the the Mariners, and I basically said, okay, they replaced Nelson Cruz with Nelson Cruz Jr. Like, you could see the, the look, the build. Um, we've all thought Domingo could be great. He, 2017 was amazing. 2018 didn't work out so well playing time-wise and all the above. Um, he's going to get pretty much every day at bats in Seattle now. And in the, the real reason I wanted to bring this up real quick, he's going 410th overall. Now, since the trade, maybe this has changed because his highest pick is 281. So he might be trending uh-huh. in the right direction. But right now he's averaging 410. So if you're in draft and hold leagues, enjoy. But um, obviously I, I could see 281 being more realistic. But what's your thoughts on Domingo Santana getting a full-time role in Seattle? Yeah, so I mean, I when I did my draft a couple of weeks ago, he was still. I don't think he had signed yet, or maybe he signed right during the draft, and I got him, you know, really late. So he's he's a guy that I I like a lot there to speculate on late, and going in the two hundreds, I I'd have to reassess. But um, you know, it's do we think he's going to play? And you know, we've got Malik Smith and Mitch Haniger are the two everyday outfielders there, right? And then is Jay Bruce? They have Jay Bruce. Yeah, they got Jay Bruce in the trade for Cano. Um, so, yeah, it, it is sloppy because you got Bruce who can play first base DH or outfielder. Eventually you want to play Dan Vogelbach. You can't just keep wasting him away in AAA. There's a lot of moving parts, but then I still have hope that Jerry Depoto is not done making trades. You're probably right. And then there's a, <laughs> right. <laughs> if you can make one from the hospital bed there. The <laughs> That's one of the more impressive things I've ever heard. Like, come on, man. Oh, I know. I know. So impressive. <laughs> I don't even know if I'd make one for my fantasy team from a hospital bed. <laughs> exactly. But uh, um, one last yeah. thing I want to ask you, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. You mentioned your NFBC. You like, you like to play. You mentioned you've done one draft champions league. Um, you don't have to go super deep on this, but if you just have – a lot of people haven't played draft champions or best balls or whatever, however people want to describe them. What kind of strategy do you use going into that? Cause you've already mentioned a few things like your catchers and some other things, but like how risky do you want to be or what stability are you looking for? Stuff like that. Yeah. So you want to, it's, it's a lot like your stock portfolio, right? So you want some, uh, you want to diversify. I like to go with my early on. I like to go with 
the solid assets. I want to draft guys that are dependable, that I can count on, and that uh, have very low risk. So that's usually what I do to begin the draft. And what I like to do before before I start drafting is I kind of like to look at the ADPs and see, you know, here's the, the high risk guys with a lot of upside. Where can I get them? And kind of plug them, plug a few of them in in the later rounds and. Say, all right, here's going to be, these are going to be my risky guys that, you know, have a ton of upside that could really win me this league. Um, and I'm going to draft them, you know, where, where there's not a whole lot of risk to, to drafting them. And I'm going to draft those, you know, the, the solid, you know, the Manny Machados, the Anthony Rendon's, the, uh, you know, the, all the, the stellar uh, Ironman type players early on. And uh, so that's kind of the, the strategy that I generally use. I like to, I do like to grab a couple of um, really good starting pitchers. You know, I want to grab at least two, at least two aces, you know? So, and when I say an ace, you know, so like in my, the one league that I did already, I grabbed Garrett Cole and Zach Greinke. So I would consider both of them aces in deeper leagues. And then I like to speculate on, on guys who have flashed, you know, ace like potential, so a number of years ago, I, I drafted Corey Kluber. He he won me an NFBC league that year that he broke out because he had kind of shown flashes of that before that and his first breakout season. You know, he was somebody I drafted in like the 18th or 19th round. So I try to always look for those kind of guys. So this year, a few of the guys that I'm looking at are like, uh, you know, Joe Musgrove and Tyler Skaggs and Dylan Bundy, uh, Matt Harvey, even you know, uh, even Lucas Giolito. Um, you know, showed a little flash last year. I think it was in August, maybe. So, just looking for those guys who've shown you know little flashes, especially ones who had top you know prospect pedigree, and you know maybe have failed a little bit in the majors for some reason. It seems like fantasy leaguers just love to dismiss those guys really quick, and that's where you can really find some good values. The other the other place I like to mine good values is in the old boring veterans. You know, we just mentioned Jay Bruce. He's one of those guys that nobody wants to touch. Jay Bruce. You know, Brett Gardner's. Uh, they're the they're the guys that are really easy to get values on. You know, Anderson Simmons. I, I love drafting guys like that. You can just plug them in. They're they're good players. Maybe they don't have a ton of upside, but you know, they'll, at the values that you can get them get for them, they'll they'll win in your league. So that's kind of a, a general uh, feel for my deep league strategy there. I love it. I love it. A lot of great info today, Derek. It's it's been a lot of fun talking to you. I, I could sit here and talk baseball with you all day long. So we're gonna have to do this again sometime. But for now. We're going to wrap up episode 133, and I want to say a special thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, you know what? You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'd love to come back on any other time. Yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Everybody, check him out on Twitter at DerekBHQ, and go check out all the great work the guys do over there at Baseball HQ. Great stuff. You mentioned the forecaster already. Uh, that's just a normal daily reading for me. So everyone, go check out all the great work over there. and Go check out Derek on Twitter again at DerekBHQ. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 133, tons of fantasy baseball talk. Catch you guys later.